It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. A guy that is not naive, he knows what he knows, and he knows the known and unknown. In fact, that's the name of his book. It's now in our paperback. It's a bestseller. Donald Rumsfeld, former Secretary of Defense and everything else. Welcome back to Kill Meet and Friends. Well, thank you, Brian. It's good to be with you. I always love seeing you. I always love talking to you, and especially when things uh, uh, were happening like they did yesterday. First off, your impression of seeing President Bush and President Obama together at the White House yesterday and all the staffs. Well, it was a big crowd. A lot of his Bush administration people were there and a lot of the White House people in the press corps. And I thought President Bush was terrific. He had a delightful sense of humor, a sense of history. And uh, I enjoyed hearing him. It was excellent. Were you invited, Mr. Secretary? Yes, indeed. Uh, and most of the Bush cabinet and White House staff and administration people were there. And it was a big crowd. It was a terrific morning. Well, I'll tell you what hasn't been terrific. And I've had a little bit of a problem with this, especially when I saw how well President Clinton and President Bush got along. I've had a personal problem with the, how dismissive and divisive this president has been to the past president. And as late as last week, what do you think was meant in this statement? To me, I see a lot of sides to this. Let's listen together. Also, please, Mr. President, that when you are wandering these halls as you wrestle with tough decisions, you will now be able to gaze at this portrait and ask, what would George do? <laughs> Great laugh, because... <laughs> oh, it was wonderful. On the, at, right on the wall behind the two presidents was a picture of George Washington and Martha Washington. And previously in that uh, bit, he had talked about the portrait of George Washington, and now you have another George W. And then he pointed to his portrait and said, you'll be able to ask what would George do, pointing to George W. Bush's portrait. And it was hysterical. And you know why it means so much, as you know, is because he prides himself on pretending to do the opposite. <laughs> and But right. yet, when it comes to the war on terror, he's so critical of Guantanamo Bay, right? He's so critical of, uh, of, the, of the way we're picking up and interrogating terrorists. And now we find out with his Hellfire missile program, he has his own kill list. Were you surprised to hear and read that? I was, although I've been around so long. I remember when President Lyndon Johnson was actually picking targets. I find it unusual, and, and most presidents don't do that. Most presidents look at, at the strategy and then uh, have people implement the strategy and then calibrate it to the extent it needs calibration. Uh, to For a president to be in the Oval Office actually, uh, in effect, pulling the trigger is, is most unusual. Is it an effective way to fight the, uh, the al-Qaeda, the war on terror? I don't think so. I think I think that the use of special operations forces, to be sure, we built them up during the Bush administration, increased their authorities, their equipment, their numbers, and they are the finest warriors on the face of the earth, and we certainly ought to be using them. And I think that we also build up the unmanned aerial vehicles, the drones, and, and they are effective because it saves American pilots' lives, uh, and they can be operated and done in, in, in clandestine ways. Uh, I think the question of who ought to be developing the strategy, unquestionably the president and the senior officials in the Department of Defense and the Department of State, who ought to be pulling the trigger is a quite different thing. 
Right, and we're doing a remote control. But you know what concerns me, Mr. Secretary, and we're talking with Secretary Rom, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, is that we're not talking to anybody anymore. We're not interrogating them. It seems like we're living off uh, intelligence garnered five years ago. Well, you're quite right. You know, to the extent you, you use a cruise missile or an uh, unmanned aerial vehicle, you don't have the chance to, to do what was done, for example, in the case of Osama bin Laden. That's physically get our people inside the compound and pick up all the intelligence information that can be valuable in terms of defending the American people and finding out more about those that are plotting against our country. And uh, so it's important to have the structures that the Bush administration put in place, the Patriot Act, the Guantanamo Bay, the uh, interrogation process, and the indefinite detention, uh, all of which President Obama had campaigned against and in some cases voted against, but he has kept in place, I think, to the credit of this administration and to the benefit of our country. You know, uh, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, Mitt Romney was asked yesterday by CBS, a reporter there, how would you grade the president? He said an F. Of course, he wants to be the president. You've seen many presidents and worked for many presidents. How would you grade this one? Well, certainly not very high. I, uh, I think the crushing debt that our country is facing requires that we have leadership that knows the burden that's putting on future generations. But even more important uh, than, than that, it, it is sending a signal around the world that America's weak, that we're weak economically, that we're going to cut the defense budget something like a trillion to a trillion two hundred billion dollars. And that the United States in my adult life has been a kind of a ribcage for the world. We've, we've contributed to a more peaceful world. As George Washington and Dwight Eisenhower said, if you want, if you want peace, prepare for war and be strong. Weakness is provocative. And to the extent the United States sends out a signal that we're in decline and we're weaker and we're, we're receding from the world, the world will be a considerably more dangerous place. People will do things they wouldn't think about doing if they were deterred from doing them. You know, uh, and by the way, uh, you know, because in your book, we're talking about the Arab Spring, you, you write about your years spent in Lebanon trying to make that place work. You write about working with the U.N., representing the Nixon administration, trying to make uh, that alliance work. I want you to hear Leon Panetta talk about his problem with Syria. And we're not doing anything, but here's what he said. Here's how he's tackling it. Cut 16. This is an intolerable situation. We cannot be satisfied with what's going on. And the international community uh, has got to take further steps to make sure that uh, that Assad steps down. Is that enough? No, and of course, that's, the statement about the international community is belied by the fact that the international collection of nations is not a community. They, they do not work together. The United Nations has not been able to impose the kinds of, of sanctions and, and uh, uh, restrictions on Syria that are, are needed. And it seems to me that what, uh, something very important happened uh, within the last 48 hours. Uh, uh, apparently Israel has said that uh, uh, they think something needs to be done in Syria. And for many years, Syria... Uh, was the neighboring country to Israel. They didn't like the Assad regime because it's a vicious regime. This, this Assad's father killed over 10, 20,000 people in Hamas some decades back. So, I mean, this is a, pat, a pattern. But, but Israel has tended to feel that at least it was stable on their border. They may be aggressive. They may be supporting terrorists. But 
and and they didn't know what they get in exchange for an Assad regime, maybe a, a militant Islamist regime, which could be even worse than Assad. They were, they feared, but this week they came out and said that uh, the Assad regime uh, was killing so many people that they should go, and that's that's interesting. So we don't know who the insurgents are. But sitting on the sideline, that's the first time in my lifetime that I've noticed that we just seem to be stepping back and allowing it. What's the difference? The, mes- the method the presidents used to, to rationalize going into Libya was he wanted to prevent a genocide. Well, we've had 12,000 people already killed, including 49 kids over the weekend. What are our options? To We're a nation that's a little war-weary. We know that. But what are our legitimate options? What would you recommend? Well, it's the full spectrum. It goes from doing nothing, which is close to where we are, to to trying to rally some nations to withdraw their diplomats, to trying to impose sanctions. And then it goes over towards what was done in Libya, where you use some some air power and you provide some weapons to uh, dissident groups that are trying to overthrow the Assad regime. You do clandestine operations, which you don't talk about in, in the specifics, or you move over to the farthest side and actually do something physically on the ground. Needless to say, the latter is the least desirable, uh, but the former ones are not working. So somewhere in between is my guess that the people in the administration and around the world are mm-hmm. are thinking about. And obviously, the neighbors who have the most to lose. Here, I mean, Syria is much more important than Libya in terms of, of the threat to the United States. Uh, they are the country that are helping uh, in close cahoots with Iran, they're the country that are making mischief in Afghanistan, making killing people and, and supplying weapons in Iraq to, to the insurgents, and, and and supporting terrorism around the world with Hezbollah and Hamas, and they are they are a country that that it, the world would be a vastly better place without the Assad regime. We hope, but we don't know what would take its place. You got to do the research. In Pakistan, our relationship has never been worse. Did you ever dream when you were in Islamabad visiting with Musharraf that 50 miles away bin Laden stood? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, I mean, there was no question, but that there, there was always the assumption that bin Laden could get into the uh, Pakistani, off the, cross the, into the Pakistani border and, and, and uh, find refuge there. Now, that to me did not mean that the Pakistani government was, was um, uh, harboring them or being hospitable to him. Uh, Musharraf was a very good partner. He wasn't perfect, and, and it will never be a perfect relationship with a country that's a completely Muslim country with a lot of terrorists in it and a lot of different sects and, and factions and, and big chunks of their country in the northern area that they don't control. Uh, and I think what we have to do is say, look, they're different than we are, but we do not want a failed state in Pakistan, a country with nuclear weapons and, and a lot of radicals. They tried to kill Musharraf several times. Right. As a general, I felt like I had a control. I feel like with Zadari, they have no control. Uh, what I'm trying to see, uh, Mr. Secretary, is it seems as though we're getting we're getting uh, stonewalled by the Russians, we're getting stonewalled by the Pakistanis. We're not making any progress in Afghanistan. Uh, why does it seem as though we don't seem to be doing the finesse the, the finesse things behind the scenes to have some successes? Well, they talked about a reset with uh, with Russia, and and Putin has been anything other than hospitable. Uh, in fact, each time we've acquiesced in something with the Russians, they have uh, increased the ante and, and asked for more. 
uh, and, and have been unhelpful, as they are currently being unhelpful in both North Korea and Iran. Um, the situation in, in Pakistan has deteriorated because we, I think, we, we were complicit in calling for Musharraf to uh, take off his uniform. And I personally felt that we were better off with a military figure in Pakistan who did wear a uniform and who had some influence over the armed services and the intelligence community, much more so than the weak administration that exists there now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's a very good point. As you look back at your career that chronicled so extensively in known and unknown, have you haven't been able to step back and, and assess it and think to yourself, uh, I'm proud of what I accomplished? Well, you know, I, I feel so privileged, uh, first of all, to, to have been born in this country and then to be able to serve the country in, in the military and, and in public service and to participate in the private sector. Uh, I think we, we need to have from time to time, step back and appreciate what an amazing country we have and that there are people all over the world who are lined up at our embassies trying to come to this country. And uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, it, it says that we've got something, we've got opportunity for Americans here and for people across the globe who come in and, and contribute. Uh, so I'm, I'm a uh, an individual who's been in and out of government four or five times now and, and feel very grateful to the American people and to the uh, system of government we have, the free political system and the free economic system. Well, I mean, unless you're going to go into wrestling and start coaching, that's your other passion. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, you're, you're a Princeton wrestler. <laughs> Uh, I think it, there might be another chapter for you, don't you think, Donald Rumsfeld? Well, I do. You know, I'm going to be 80 next month, so wow. I, I guess I've got to start thinking what, what I'm going to do when I grow up. I think, yeah, I think it's about time. <laughs> uh, but I know that when the World Championships from Madison Square Garden a few years ago, you were here, and I think they're coming back, so I expect to see you in New York City and love to have you in studio. Terrific. I look forward to it. All right, go get uh, the former Secretary of Defense's uh, book. It's now out on paperback, known and unknown, or download it. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, thanks so much. Brian, I might say all of my proceeds are going to military charities, and there's a website, rumsfeld.com, that people might want to look at. Yeah, you have a lot of papers there to tell the truth about what really happened during your years in office. Exactly. All right, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.